depraved, diabolical, deceitful, disgusting display today from Joe Biden. I can't start. I can't, st I can't do this right now. Uh, it was so depressing. But then again, it was also, well, a rerun. I've seen that stuff before. It'll be addressed, but I'll do it later. First, a message of hope. And I am so pleased that a lawsuit has been filed by the estate of Ashley Babbitt. The folks at Judicial Watch are suing with Aaron Babbitt, who is the executor of Ashley Babbitt's estate, uh, for wrongful death, right? For what happened to her. You saw it and I saw it. There's not a police department in the country that could say what happened to Ashley Babbitt was justified. And I am glad that this has happened. I really am. Lieutenant Michael Byrd, who I believe is now a captain, I mean, one could say he literally got away with murder. Take a look at this picture when he's running around with the gun. Right here on the House floor, this is in violation of, of Capitol Hill Police policy, actually. And he has been for most of his career. And he certainly was that day. Not only policy, but I do believe the law. So this lawsuit has been filed. And I've been following this case very closely, as you know, but I have learned some uh, pretty amazing things here, and I will share them with you right now. First of all, you saw Ashley Babbitt on January 6th. We've showed you this picture before. She's not an insurrectionist. She went to engage in, well, protected First Amendment speech and to see President Trump. She was at that ellipse rally, which was peaceful, which was calm. And then with others, yeah, she walked over to the Capitol walked over. It wasn't a stampede. It wasn't a raid. She walked peacefully to the Capitol. And this is new. You see, nobody knew actually how she got in there. We still haven't seen the videotape, but we know this. She didn't break in. She wasn't part of a, a crew that broke windows and stormed in. We know this. Two undercover Metropolitan Police Department officers followed close behind Ashley as she climbed the stairs to the West Terrace. Two undercover Metropolitan Police Department officers were there. Why didn't they stop her if she were a threat? You know what? She wasn't a threat. And everybody was walking in at one point on January 6th. Ashley entered the Capitol on the Senate side long after others had done so. Once inside... According to the lawsuit, Ashley encountered a female Capitol Police officer who directed her to walk south toward the House side. And you know what? Everything I found in this lawsuit corresponds to other evidence I've already seen. Here's Ashley Babbitt walking through the rotunda. And you know what? She actually does look just like a tourist. Yeah. Peacefully listening to law enforcement following their instructions. So if you've watched this show, you may have seen me put up three what I think are critical pieces of video. Number one, who is that little cop, right, who is waving everybody there? This police officer wasn't the only one, but there were others. Who is that? And number two, why do those police officers just stand there as more and more people came in? Almost like a welcoming committee. Welcome to the Capitol, right? And the third one. These officers standing by the door that leads to the House chamber, ultimately, they just walked off and took a coffee break, it seems, in the middle of everything and allowed those guys to, well, start pounding on the door. I've been asking for a long time, who are those police officers? Well, 
We finally have their names, and it's pretty interesting what they're saying. First, Officer Kyle Yetter on the left, Sergeant Timothy Lively in the middle, and Officer Christopher Lanciano on the right, okay? Now, back to the video, because I want to show you where they go and where Ashley Babbitt is, all right? Let's go back to that, please. You can see right after they leave, uh, these people start really pounding away at that door. Now we're going to stop it in a moment. Okay, you see Ashley Babbitt, and you see the others just kind of standing there next to her, okay? Now I want to go back to the lawsuit. Uh, item 19, please. Sergeant Lively, Officer Yetter, and Officer Lanciano violated an order to guard and hold the speaker's lobby doors. That's interesting. They were ordered to stay there, and they didn't. Next, please. Sergeant Lively, Officer Yetter, and Officer Lanciano stood with their backs to the doors and did nothing to control or stop him, one of the people breaking the glass. And you and I just saw that. They didn't do anything, except take a odd coffee break in the middle of it all. Next, please. Instead of controlling, de-escalating, or stopping, uh, Alam is the person's name, one of the uh, rioters there, Sergeant Lively, Officer Yetter, uh, and Officer Lanciano moved away from the doors and stood along the adjacent wall to the right of the doors. I'm still at a total loss. Next, please. Sergeant Lively told investigators afterwards, I grapple with this, you know, if I should have stayed. Officer Smith, the CERT leader, a guy who came there a few moments later, put it bluntly to investigators, I was thinking, why the F did they leave? Why did they leave? Why did they leave? Now, now to Michael Byrd, who shot and killed Ashley Babbitt and has since been promoted and still works at the Capitol Police, has never been disciplined in any way. What is the policy about the use of deadly force? It's stated in this lawsuit, okay? Here we go. Firearms may be withdrawn from their holsters only when officers are preparing for its expected prudent and lawful discharge to protect themselves or others from imminent death or serious physical injury. Imminent death. Was death imminent for, for Officer Burt? No. Death was imminent for Ashley Babbitt. Here's the moment she's shot. So there's some that we did not see, some moments there that we did not see, but we have a pretty full picture about what happened. No one heard Officer Byrd, Lieutenant Byrd, whatever, issue any verbal warnings. They studied this very closely. Nothing like freeze or get back or stop or I'll shoot. Nothing like that. And then Officer Byrd has spoken, and he probably incriminated himself when he did so. In August of 2021, he sat down with Lester Holt and said 
said a few things. When you fired, what could you see? Where were you aiming? You're taught to aim for center mass. Uh, the subject was sideways, and I could not see her full motion of her hands or anything. Um, so I guess her movement, you know, caused the uh, discharge to, to fall where it did. And what did you think this individual was doing at that, at that moment? She was posing a threat. How? How? He didn't see any weapons. You know, I've heard police officers sometimes say, well, I thought the guy was holding a gun, but it turned out to be a can of tuna fish or something like that. I've heard that, right? But he said, I didn't even see her hands. He didn't see a weapon. He's making guesses about what's in the backpack. How did they even see the backpack? It makes absolutely no sense what he did. Next. It was later, I, you know, found out that the uh, subject did not have a weapon, but there was no way to know that at that time. And I could not fully see her hands or what was in the backpack or what the intentions of. Uh, that's not the way it works, though. It doesn't work that way. Imminent, the danger of imminent death. That's what you got. It's not a guesswork. It's like, I can't see, so bang, bang. Mm -mm. And he was praised for this, called a hero. Capitol Police in their uh, press release after exonerating you said your actions potentially save members and staff from serious injury and possible death. What was it like to hear those words, to see those words? Those words meant a lot because that's exactly what I did on that day. That was my mission. That was what I prepared for. Only in Washington, D.C. would you get a medal for this kind of display. The swamp protecting this individual. Um, at the point that Ashley Babbitt was shot, there was actually hardly anybody in the House chamber. There are a handful of members who had military experience, um, and there was security. But all, the, all of the members had been evacuated. They asked Byrd during the investigation, well, how many people do you think were in the house when you fired? He said about 80 or 90. No, there were about six or seven. Now, you happen to notice that um, Ashley Babbitt is white and the shooter is black. Yeah, I think that may have played, about, played a role in the newsworthiness of this and how it's been portrayed. I think so. I know so. And, of course, uh, as Curtis Sliwa might say, Officer Byrd is using his complexion as protection. Can you give us the nature of some of those threats? They talked about, you know, killing me, uh, cutting off my head, um, you know, very vicious and cruel things. Racist things? There were some racist attacks as well. It's all disheartening because I know I was doing my job. So nobody should be threatened. I don't like threats, but they happen. Is anybody concerned about Derek Chauvin's family, right? They were saying all kinds of things. Anytime a police officer is involved in a bad shooting, or let's say a controversial shooting, the public may have some stuff to say. And some crackpots out there may write vile things. I don't know what the point is. It doesn't matter. He got some nasty emails 
Ashley Babbitt lost her life. Uh, I want to see Lieutenant Byrd in action on that day again, if you don't mind, uh, with the gun drawn, running around the house floor. And uh, there he is firing. There he is firing. Well, he had a problem firing that weapon when he shouldn't that day and other days when he was off duty. So the lawsuit, they did a lot of discovery here, right? They found out that, well, one day when he was off duty, his car was stolen. And according to the lawsuit, Bird just started shooting at the car. Lieutenant Bird's police powers also were revoked for a prior off-duty shooting into a stolen moving vehicle in which the occupants were teenagers or juveniles. The stolen vehicle was Lieutenant Bird's car. That's not the way you use a deadly force. Might be tempting, certainly for, but not for a law enforcement officer. You don't start shooting at a car that was stolen. Not if you're a professional law enforcement officer. And then uh, there's this. Lieutenant Byrd fired multiple shots at the fleeing vehicle in a suburban area. Stray bullets from Lieutenant Byrd's firearm struck the sides of homes nearby. An official investigation found that Lieutenant Byrd's use of force was not justified. So we had a record of this. Yet it was still employed by the Capitol Hill Police. That's a problem. And is it also possible that Lieutenant Byrd tried to cover up um, something about that day? A radio transmission, the lawsuit found out, at 2.45, or within one minute after, after shooting Ashley, Lieutenant Byrd made the following radio call. Look at this. This is, these are his words. We got shots fired in the lobby. We got shots fired in the lobby of the house chamber. Shots are being fired at us, and we're sh uh, prepared to fire back at them. We have guns drawn. Please don't leave that end. All right. We have shots fired. Trying to say that the crowd is shooting at, at the officers, at him. There was one shot fired and it went from Bird to Babbitt. That's it. A minute later, he's trying to say there are shots fired. Does he realize he made a horrible, horrible decision? Maybe. I think obviously. All right. There's been one individual who's been with Ashley Babbitt from the very beginning and refused to be intimidated by the left, by the mob, into forgetting this horrendous crime. And by the way, who shot Ashley Babbitt? Who shot Ashley Babbitt? Who? Who shot Ashley Babbitt? We all saw the hand. We saw the gun. You know, there wasn't a person of power in America who would dare talk about this case. He did, and he does. It's one of the reasons why we love him. I am so happy to call Aaron Babbitt a friend. He is a great man and uh, a good guy, too. I just married to Ashley, and he's doing the right thing by her and her family, his family. And congratulations and thank you to Judicial Watch, who really helped him make this lawsuit happen. We'll be right back in a little bit with Tom Fitton, the president of Judicial Watch. All right, back to this hate speech. I got to take care of this. What was I saying before? A lot of D's, right? Uh, diabolical, deceptive, uh, a little bit desperate, very desperate, actually. Just nightmare stories, ghost stories almost about Trump, like he's some sort of monster. We know him. We know him. So 
it didn't work. Although it's really disturbing, actually, to see somebody lie so blatantly, so boldly. And we've seen this from him before, plenty of times. Um, all right, here's a moment from the speech I do want to make a point about. Uh, let's go. Trump's claims about the 2020 election never could stand up in court. Trump lost 60 court cases, 60. Trump lost the Republican-controlled states. Trump lost before a Trump-appointed judge and then judges. And Trump lost before the United States Supreme Court. All of it, he lost. Yeah, that's uh, very deceptive. The Supreme Court actually didn't hear the case. They didn't take it. It's different. Um, and they never point out that these cases, they didn't lose on the merits. It was an issue of standing. For instance, if I want to sue the state of Pennsylvania and the judge says, well, you've got to live in Pennsylvania for, to, for you to sue, something like that, right? You have, to be, you have to be a valid kind of plaintiff. Technicalities. But he said 60 cases. I've heard 60, I've heard 63, 61. And the media, they say the same thing, don't they? Over 60 cases did examine the evidence, and not one found any merit in any of Trump's claims. You, you know that the Trump campaign litigated all of this, more than 60 cases, and they lost. Maybe that's why none of the 63 uh, uh, federal courts that heard these cases said there was any widespread voter fraud. More than 60 cases that went before different courts, many with conservative judges. And we, it became abundantly clear, we just didn't win. All right. Uh, I still have grave concerns about the fairness of the election. It's okay to say that. It's also right to point out that Joe Biden is the president, okay? He signed the paperwork, and uh, I'm not contesting any election, right? okay? I'm not. But you can still, you know, things emerge, and 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60. Reminded me of another number. 50. There are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is, has all the care. Four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties, say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except the, his and his good friend, Rudy Gianni. You mean the laptop is now another Russia, Russia, Russia hoax? And that's exactly it. what... Is this where you exactly going? what... This is going. where he's going. The laptop that, right. is Russia, yes. Russia, Gentlemen, Russia? I want to stay on the issue of race. <laughs> Let's get back to race. How, how about that, right? 50, 50, from both parties, right? Republicans, so many, 50, 60, 50, 63, 52, right? The media picked that up big time, got the laptop. The New York Post reported on the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop, alleging he used his father's position for personal gain, a claim the president's son has denied. Days later, more than 50 former intelligence officials released a statement that the laptop had all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. John, overnight, more than 50 former senior intelligence officials, they sent a disputed set of emails from Joe Biden's son, Hunter. Remember the ones published by the New York Post? They have all the classic earmarks of Russian a disinformation operation. It is critically important to have 50 former members of the intelligence community come forward. See what I mean, right? They always have a number. 50 former intelligence officials, 50 judges have said such a thing about whatever. It's very swampy, isn't it? Can I show you one more thing? Trump was uh, indicted January 6th. In the indictment, it says he inspired 
not only the riot on the Capitol, but this thing, right? Look at this. Does this look like a riot to you? This is outside a civic center in Michigan. People were upset about the voting and uh, upset about, well, was it fair? What's was going on inside? Some they're trying to convince us this is the worst thing that ever happened. Reminded me of a of a scene that was actually pretty intense. Let's go back to the year 2000. Watch. An impromptu protest by Republicans in the lobby of election headquarters after the count is taken into a tabulation room on the 19th floor. This is the famous Brooks Brothers riot, actually, in 2000. See, it's okay when the favored people of the swamp have their operatives go out there. What, 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 what looks worse, actually? What looks more intense? To me, it all looks like politics. Not illegal, not illegal. They have weaponized the justice system, right? They love to say that, weaponized, but they have. All right, folks, I'll be right back. Information. Truth. Is freedom. Is Newsmax. It's real news for real people. Ashley Babbitt on January 6th, 2021, about maybe an hour before she was shot and killed by Lieutenant Michael Byrd of the Capitol Hill Police. There is not a police department in the country that could justify that shooting. I'm very pleased. I've been through this lawsuit. If you saw the show earlier, we went through it in detail. A lawsuit organized, it looks like, by Judicial Watch. The great people at Judicial Watch has been filed. The, uh, the estate of Ashley Babbitt and Aaron Babbitt um, her uh, widower are the plaintiffs versus the United States of America. Uh, the complaint for assault, battery, negligence, uh, negligent training, uh, and wrongful death for $30 million. Tom Fitton is the president of Judicial Watch. He was instrumental in putting this thing together. And Joe DeGeneva joins us, the former U.S. attorney for Washington, D.C. Uh, gentlemen, welcome. Tom, uh, bravo. I just think this is fantastic. And uh, you guys, it looks to me like you did it the right way. Uh, please tell us more. I, I, you know, many of your viewers have seen the shooting of Babbitt. No normal police officer, no serious uh, supervisor of law enforcement, or frankly, an honest politician, would conclude anything other than that was an unlawful shooting. There was no good reason to shoot Ashley Babbitt. It was wildly dangerous. Uh, obviously, it, it resulted in the homicide of, of Ashley. And I tell you, uh, the police dropped the ball there. And obviously, uh, the U.S. government, which employs Mr. Byrd, uh, I guess he's now a captain, uh, still working there for the U.S. Capitol Police, needs to be held accountable here. Uh, it's a straightforward lawsuit in that regard. Uh, the claims that arise, it looks to me, as an lawyer. Uh, from this type of shooting that's so wildly outrageous are really uh, sensible and, and uh, it just follows that it's wrongful death, negligence, assault battery, etc. And so the big question is, is how is the Biden administration and Congress going to deal uh, with this uh, terrible situation where Ashley was killed, Justice Department dropped the ball in terms of any serious criminal investigation, uh, the Capitol Hill police uh, uh, were uh, talking about negligent, uh, refused to do anything uh, administratively over this death, 
all of which were for political reasons, we know, because uh, they didn't want anything to get in the way of their narrative about what January 6th was about, which was to uh, use it to target Trump and his supporters. Mm -hmm. And the idea that a police officer wrongfully killed a Trump supporter uh, went against that. Uh, so, uh, but we're not afraid of what the politicians uh, have, have set up here in Washington, D.C., and we've got this uh, significant federal claim against the United States government. Um, there's a dynamite piece of new evidence in here that I have not seen before. But first, Joe, you're an experienced lawyer. Uh, you didn't file this thing. You're not with Judicial Watch, but your take. This seems very, very thorough and an airtight, airtight case to me. Well, anything that Judicial Watch does will be thorough. I have always believed that the shooting of Ashley Babbitt was unjustified, that it was some of the worst law enforcement performance I have ever seen. Uh, Lieutenant Byrd uh, should never have been kept on the force, in my opinion. Uh, I was the United States Attorney for the District of Columbia. I oversaw the investigations of shooting by police officers. Uh, in a situation like this, Lieutenant Byrd never would have survived in the Metropolitan Police Department after an unjustified shooting like this, in my opinion. Uh, this, is, this is justice being carried out much, much longer than it should have been. And I want to congratulate Tom and everybody at Judicial Watch for bringing to closure one of the most disgraceful events in U.S. law enforcement history and the cover-up by Pelosi and Schumer and the Capitol Police Force and the United States Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia, which was, let me just say this about my old office. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia is a disgrace. It's an embarrassment to federal law enforcement, and this was another example of why that office needs, needs major revamping. I didn't realize that uh, Lieutenant Byrd was promoted, but uh, here he is in that Lester Holt interview. Let's take a look. I believe I showed the uh, utmost courage on January 6th, and it's time for me to do that now. All right, and he tells his story, but he leaves some things out, and he also says some things potentially incriminating. And I want to show uh, from your lawsuit, full screen seven, if you don't mind. So about a minute after he shoots Ashley Babbitt, uh, according to the lawsuit, he made the following radio call. And let's put that radio call up, a verbatim. Uh, we got shots fired in the lobby. We got shots fired in the lobby of the House chamber. Shots are being fired at us, and we're, we're uh, prepared to fire back at them. We have guns drawn. Please don't leave that end. Uh, Tom, this is after the shooting. He's saying this stuff. Tell us what that means. He literally was the only person who fired a shot. He fired a shot at Ashley Babbitt. Uh, and he gets on the radio and puts out that information that was false and who knows what uh, in terms of leading to the delay in the care of Babbitt. Uh, I, I just can't, you know, I have to go back, Greg. When you look at that video, that he shot her is just so outrageous. It defies belief nothing had been done about it. And we're happy to do the lawsuit, but I am furious that the Justice Department, as Joe's pointed out, refused to do anything, either criminally or civilly, and the Capitol Police give him a, gave him a complete pass. Did you know they moved him to Andrews Air Force Base for a, a long period of time after this shooting? 
I mean, can you I did actually. I did because a police shooting investigation. We've all seen them as citizens. We've seen plenty of police shooting investigation. None of the standards following a police shooting, especially of this nature, were followed for Bird. It well, was critical. That was, that was this is a legal thing that's been done related to that shooting in three years. It's crazy. The whole Andrews Air Force Base thing, I think, was meant to, oh, look what we have to do to prevent MAGA from finding this guy. You know what I mean? That, that, that was for political optics. To me, that radio transmission just might be evidence of the initial steps at a cover-up, right, to, to kind of set up that. And I'm no so sorry I'm it. out of time. I'm so sorry. we have No to, doubt about it. Yeah, it's incredible. I am so glad that you guys are out there. This, is, this had to be done. Very quickly, Joe, it's tough to sue the federal government, uh, isn't it, right? I mean, they, they, they got a million lawyers, but it does, people can win, right? They not only can win, Judicial Watch and the Babbitt estate is going to win this lawsuit. I love it. I love it. I am so impressed, Tom, and all your colleagues at, the, at Judicial Watch and, uh, and Aaron Babbitt. The the, the, yeah. the husband of Ashley. Many, well, many don't, thanks. Don't forget, her, don't forget her mom, Nikki. Indeed. Indeed. She's seeking justice ever since. It's just terrible. And and Biden's out there pretending this didn't happen. Well, I knew it would not stand. I knew this would not stand. And I am so glad we're at this moment. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll be right back. More than 1,200 people have been charged for their assault on the Capitol. Nearly 900 of them have been convicted or pled guilty. Collectively, to date, they have been sentenced to more than 840 years in prison. What What a weird thing to boast about, huh? I mean, we all know that people have been overcharged. This is... This is ludicrous. That was such a divisive, nasty speech today from Joe Biden, but that's what we get from Joe Biden, isn't it, huh? I know one of those people. He mentioned more than 1,000 people. Well, one of them is Jake Lang. Here's Jake, a 28-year-old man from Newburgh, New York, in happier times. He was there on January 6th. Yes, he was there. And uh, look, he'll tell us what happened that day. But I know this, he's been in jail ever since just a few days later, 10 days later on January 16th, 2021, he's, he was arrested. He's been in jail ever since. There has not been a trial. Uh, Jake Lang, welcome back to Newsmax. <laughs> President Joe Biden was talking to you, talking about you today, and we're talking to you right now in jail. First of all, how are you and how are things inside? Hey, Greg, thanks for having me on. God bless you. Uh, we're strong, you know, the Jan Sixers. I think we've been molded by resilience and this entire persecution we're seeing from Joe Biden and his corrupt regime has not broken us down. They have not made us cower, whimper, or surrender. We've actually gotten stronger throughout these last three years. And uh, I can't wait to see in 2024 God vindicates the January Sixers, Greg. Well, you're... Uh... This has been so over the top, so ridiculous. Look, let me ask you this, uh, and I'm sorry about my voice, I'm, but what are your conditions like right now? We've heard some nightmare stories about uh, that jail, that federal jail. That's where you are, right, in Washington? Yes. Uh, actually, guys, I'm in the basement level of the Washington, D.C. jail, the gulag, as we call it. Uh, I've been down here for about four months in solitary confinement. 
Uh, out of the last three years, I've been incarcerated without a trial, over 1,080 days. Uh, two years of that have been in solitary confinement. So, um, you know, the stories you hear out of the gulag are true. There are cockroaches running through my room. It's freezing cold in here at night. I put on three or four layers just to fall asleep. Um, the walls are damp and wet, and the rooms have mold in them. But uh, I know God has got greater grace, and they won't break me or the Jan Sixers through their uh, tyranny and their torture and their coercement. Well, no plea that, deal to tyranny. That seems like uh, a crazy amount of time without a trial. Uh, what is their excuse? What's going on? It's been, a, what, a thousand days more than. How, how can this be? Well, I mean, the easiest and simplest way to put it is our Constitution has been shredded up. Uh, the George Soros prosecutors in Washington, D.C. have used uh, every means necessary to torture us uh, because we're Trump supporters. There's a two-tier system of justice here, Greg. You know that we're not going to get treated like somebody that says storms the Capitol in the name of Palestinian freedom or some Black Lives Matter protester that, you know, burns down a federal courthouse. Uh, they are, they're going to get, you know, a, a desk appearance ticket, little disorderly conduct, $80 fine. But me and the Jan Sixers, we're going to get uh, sentenced and, and charged with heinous crimes, one of them being the 1512 obstruction of Congress charge. That is a 20-year maximum felony charge. 330 Jan Sixers have been bludgeoned with it, weaponized law code, and also Donald Trump. And me and my legal team, along with Fisher and Miller, two other Jan Sixers, we filed in the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court has picked up our case. So we're seeing, you know, God willing, a, a chance at getting some relief of this horrible tyranny that we're suffering under. How did you feel about President Biden talking about you guys today and the manner in which he was talking about you? It's, it's more messaging. It's spineless messaging from a corrupt regime that's holding on barely by a thread. The American people are waking up. Uh, we're no longer going to be duped by these communists coming in and trying to tell us they're Democrats. I remember what a Democrat was. My grandfather, who served in the Korean War, was a Democrat, and he was a hard-working, red-blooded American man. These people aren't Democrats. They're Marxists and, and communists dressed up and pretending and usurp the Democrat Party. And so they're just trying to hold on to their last little bit of power before Trump comes back in 2024. And we see the Republic of America revive itself, a constitutionally sound state once again. Now, look, a couple of things about you in jail. Number one, the phone connection sounds great. You're active on Twitter somehow. You got a uh, you had a thriving podcast. I, uh, it's pretty wild that you're able to do all this stuff in federal jail. You talked about the conditions. Um, is this, I don't want to say special treatment. It doesn't sound like you're getting special treatment, but I didn't, I didn't quite frankly expect you to be able to do all this. And you're talking to us again on the phone, which is great. Um, what's going on there? Well, you know, God's opened up doors for me and surrounded me by a group of volunteers, Christian brothers and sisters. They help me make websites. They help me run my podcast. Right now I'm using a jail-provided little touchscreen tablet that has a phone app on it. Basically, you pay $2 per minute to, uh, to sorry, $2 per 15-minute phone call, and you can make calls all day just in another extortion process. But... To do a podcast, I, I give a call to, let's say, Arthur Logan or Dinesh D'Souza or Mike Lindell, who have been on the Political Prisoner podcast. I call them up, we record the podcast, and we put it out for the American people, plain and simple. It's just a recorded phone call, Greg. 
Yep. All right. Well, listen, I know you're in jail right now, and uh, that's wild. I don't think you should be there. And, uh, you know, we can talk. Look, you have any regrets about what you did? I know that you believe, and you just may have, come to the aid of uh, Rosalind Boyland and some others who look like on the video they were being abused, maybe even by Capitol cops. But do you have any regrets about anything you did or did not do that day? How could you ever regret standing against tyranny as a, as a man or woman in this country? January 6th was one of the greatest days in American history. And the fact that we had to defend our lives and people lost their lives is horrible. But we're patriots and we're 1776ers. And, you know, this is the kind of spirit that founded our country. And, you know, when you stand up against evil, Greg, it ain't always so pretty, but it's necessary. And I tried to save lives that day. I tried to save Roseanne Boylan's life. She ended up dying literally virtually right in front of me in my arms. And we're starting to see the American people are now getting view and access to the J6 tapes through the release from Speaker Johnson. And so their false yeah. narrative, the January 6th Select Committee, nonsense, and all of the you know, Washington Post, New York Times lies, that false narrative is unraveling right before them. And uh, we're truly seeing the public opinion, the court of public opinion, three years ago, yeah. Greg, uh, we didn't have really many supporters. Three years later, the third-year anniversary of January 6th, I don't think that there's a Republican or a conservative or a MAGA, America first person out there that isn't, you know, gun-ho about freeing the Jan 6ers. Hey, and that Jake, this is a completely... I, completely, it's completely wrong. Look, Jake, I'm sorry, I'm out of time. I got to run. Good luck in there. Stay in touch. And folks, you can follow him on Twitter. You can go to uh, Jake Lang, I'm sorry, j6truth.org. And you can also uh, follow him at, uh, at Jake Lang, J6. And uh, I admire your spirit very, very much. Please give our best to everybody else you're in there with. This should not be happening in America. Jake Lang, thank you. Best to your family. And we'll be right back. Oh, no. Because of the, all the chemical that I, my uniform had on. I was carried back inside. What happened afterwards is much less vivid. One of the invaders approached me like he was going to try to get past me and head down the stairs. I was stunned by what I saw. <laughs> Gets me every time. <laughs> Sorry, give me a... These... <laughs> Sorry, they are infuriating. You know, they're all uh, authors. They've got pretty healthy book contracts. Yeah, they're doing quite well. And this guy, one of the biggest, uh, well, anyway, uh, he's running for Congress. No kidding. I knew it. I knew it. In a way, it's a good thing because he was walking around Congress with a gun, yelling and screaming at people he disagreed with. That's fascism. So at least he's, you know, making it obvious, right? More obvious. He's running for Congress. He's off to a bad start. His commercial stinks. On this day, my role was as a Capitol Police officer. I'm Harry Dunn, and that meant putting aside who I am, a father, a Marylander, a Democrat, because I swore an oath to protect our Constitution, to protect our democracy. It's what allowed me to protect some members of Congress who I knew were bigots, who helped fan the flames that started all of this. <laughs> you see, hiring all those actors to throw papers around. Why didn't they just get the videotape that they always love to show? Anyway, uh, yeah, he's really doing this. This is not a skit. Keep going. 
I put country above self. The problem is, a lot of them didn't. Some of the same people who stood behind us when we protected them went back on the floor of Congress and stood behind Trump. They voted to acquit him. Really creepy. And who was he calling a bigot, actually? What's that about? Um, it's so cheesy, isn't it? These people running around with the, the flags. And anyway, I think we're almost done. One more. And worst of all, they denied the violence and trauma that led to the death of some of my fellow officers. I couldn't stand by and watch. I had another role to play. I used my voice to speak out, to get into good trouble. You see how crazy this is, right? What, how many TV shows was he on? He was on The View? They put him on The View? And he was still a cop? All right, so... Uh going to win, too, right? Maryland is totally Democratic. Did he get Jamie Raskin to hook him up? I'm sure he did. Oh, well. Uh, well, let's see what happens, huh? I mean, after all, we're going to vet him, right? I'll be right back. Greta Van Susteren is back. She's on Newsmax, giving you the really big stories without the spin. Watch The Record with Greta Van Susteren. She's smart, tough, and always fair. Don't miss Greta's new show. Check out my girls, uh, Madeline on the left and Annalise on the right. They're at uh, in one of those ball pits, you know, that they used to have at McDonald's. I think they're at the Balloon Museum. Anyway. My wife is camera shy, but she took the picture. I'll see you next week. Have a great weekend.